Hey everyone, welcome to the Industry Show. I'm your host Nitin Bajaj, and joining me today is Diana Zhang. Diana, welcome on the show. Hi Nitin, it's so wonderful to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure is all ours. So let's start with who is Diana. Absolutely. So. First and foremost, I always introduce myself as a mom. Um, I have a five-year-old named Lily and a two-and-a-half-year-old named Teddy, so shout out to them. Um, and in my normal day job, as I like to describe it, I'm a 15-year executive at a global asset management firm out here in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've run everything from our investment research department to our corporate real estate to our firm's various talent programs. Um, and these days, professionally, I'm actually doing something completely different. Um, I find myself as the co-founder and CEO of NeighborShare, a startup nonprofit, which is what we're here to, to discuss today. Um, and then some more information on the personal side. Let's see. Um, I'm a first generation immigrant. I was born in China um, and moved here when I was around five. Um, and have sort of, you know, moved throughout the states, but always sort of in the New England area. And, um, and besides neighbor share, I would say that I'm also very passionate about food. Um, I'm really passionate about eating it, cooking it, sharing it, traveling for it, and also about advocating on those, on behalf of those who lack access to it. And as part of that, I'm also a board member of uh, Connecticut Food Share, which is our statewide food bank um, in, in Connecticut. That sounds awesome. So, yeah. You know, we, we will talk about neighbor share. Let's talk a little bit about why do this, right? Yeah, so why why do this in terms of why I'm doing it or why we're doing it in terms of why neighbor share in terms of the organization's mission? Yeah, both. And then, you know, if I, if I could add a third element to it, why now? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and great question. So in terms of the why neighbor share, you know, I personally was um, very struck when, when my co-founder, um, called me and um, you know sharing some initial ideas etc but he cited this statistic that literally became one of our rallying cries right which is that 40% of Americans can't afford a $400 emergency <laughs> that by the way was a statistic that was shared by the Federal Reserve back in 2018 2019 way before the pandemic and yeah. then you see the pandemic striking right where you know almost overnight you saw this sort of like this avalanche of need that was basically just unleashed by by just the implications of needing to shut down our communities, whatever else. And that's basically why NeighborShare exists, right? And, and why NeighborShare exists right now, right? Yes. Where, you know, our whole organization's mission is really around empowering what we call our community's frontline heroes mm -hmm. uh, with a new resource they can go to to help sort of our fellow neighbors and families through these pivotal moments of need of $400 or less, right? So this whole notion of how can we come together as neighbors helping neighbors to create almost an extra layer of safety net when other options have run out. And so that's sort of like the meta version of sort of, mm -hmm. you know, why neighbor share white now. And then for myself personally, you know, as I was saying in my introduction in terms of the, hey, I kind of am unexpectedly here as the co-founder and CEO of NeighborShare when I was, you know, working at a hedge fund for 15 years of my career. You know, I think it's, um, I know that personally as I got more into it and just both learned more about the state of need in our communities mm -hmm. and also got more and more into the, just the intricacies of what it means to build an organization from scratch. And I know I'm talking to a lot of fellow entrepreneurs out there. It was a combination of becoming more and more passionate and energized by by the need that our communities are calling out for and how we really need an innovative solution to help once again create this safety net and then on the other end i think it's like not gonna lie i think i got a little bit you know bitten by the entrepreneurial bug right like i also love just the 
just the challenge of building this thing, right? And how do we how do we really build and galvanize what we hope to be through time, a national movement mm-hmm. to really once again create this sort of dynamic of neighbors helping neighbors in this very sort of like targeted, um, targeted type of way. And so that's sort of the, the why for me and, and why sort of you see me so passionate about this today. And I love the initiative, right? And uh, and being being a resource and and to be able to help our own neighbors and make an impact in their lives that's such a tremendous opportunity. But also, at the same time, you know, in this particular time of need, you know, talk about timing and and you kind of bringing this together uh, during the pandemic. Give us a sense of the size and scale of your operations, and and most importantly, the impact that NeighborShare has been able to create and will continue to in the yeah. near future. Absolutely, absolutely. So before I actually jump into some of our key mm-hmm. metrics, I'd actually love to take a moment to um, just describe a bit more about how our model works, because in that way you'll better understand the, the metrics basically that I'll be citing. And so, you know, when we, when we really first started NeighborShare um, back in the beginning, you know, we really started with this problem statement of how do we get direct help to the people who need it the most in our communities when they need it, right? And and if you really think about it, we realized that it was actually pretty hard to just go and just know which families in your neighborhood actually needed help in that moment, right? Like as the typical donor, and I was totally that typical donor like a year and a half ago, right? You can't just walk down the street and be like, hey, Nitin, I know that, mm-hmm. you know, the neighbors in, you know, a hundred blah, like, you know, and in that house will, will, will need, need an extra helping hand, right? Mm-hmm. And so, we realized that to really get to these, you know, real individualized grassroots levels, you really need boots on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we decided to do with our model is we decided to do this by partnering with just really wonderful local nonprofit organizations all over the country mm-hmm. and really empowering the frontline staff, what we call our frontline heroes, right? The case managers, the social workers, it could be the teachers at the schools, partnering with the organizations, right? The folks mm-hmm. who intimately know their communities, and we basically empower them to sort of identify and validate these pivotal moments of need, right? Once again, of $400 or less, and then give them a way to spotlight them on our platform at mbshare.org. And um, and then really also, as part of completing the cycle, we also then provide donors a really sort of like tangible, validated, trustworthy way to make impact and help a neighbor immediately today, right? And then to that end, you know, um, you know about a, about a bit over a year into our efforts since it started out grassroots, sort of like a, as a nights and weekends volunteer-driven type project. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really proud to say that we have around you know 60 active nonprofit partners in our network wow. across 25 different states. Um, you know, they range everywhere from after-school education programs to homeless shelters to domestic abuse centers, veteran centers. Like, I mean, we run the gamut, right? Because basically every single walk of life might hit a moment of need like this that we're talking about, right? And um, and at this point, we've directly helped, you know, almost 3,000 neighbors across across the country um, and are helping more every day. Uh, and that's, that's a, sort of a statistic that I'm really, really proud of. Um, and, you know, and I would say that these 3,000 neighbors, like the folks that we're helping with, you know, they really truly reflect the fabric of the communities that we're, we're serving, right? You know, we've helped veterans, single parents, you know, teenagers looking to get out of gang life, you know, women looking to get out of their abusive situations, um, refugees from Afghanistan um, after the turmoil there a few months ago, like we're really sort of covering the gamut and once again, just touching lives in a really direct way. Um, and then let's see, I think one other stat I'd love to share is that, look, I'm also really proud of the fact that 
you know, almost all of this, let's call it like 98% of this progress has been powered by basically like an all volunteer team. You know, we have an incredible volunteer team of around 25 to 30 people across the country who basically take their specific skills from their day job and they port it over pro bono to, to neighbor share nights and weekends with like, you know, the, the kind of obsessive you'll be like, hey, where's that thing? And, you know, we've basically come together to build a startup together. Um, and, um, and it's been incredible because it was an organization built during COVID. And so actually last Thursday was the first time we, I met a lot of the volunteers in person for the first time after 18 months of working together in person in New York, we did our first ever holiday event. And it was like tears and emotion and whatever, because can you imagine? It's just all That's these awesome. passionate, passionate people who had only met via Zoom screen saying, mm -hmm. I'm jumping in, I'm gonna build this startup, even though I know what a grind it is and we're gonna go help. And so, you know, it's been, it's been incredible in that way too. And so as uh, much as I'm proud of the social impact we're making, I'm also really proud of the, just the neighbor share community we've been able to build as well. That's such an inspiring story, and you know, on two fronts. One, that you're able to help the most vulnerable population we have, right, and make such a significant impact on their lives, to be able to transform them just by giving them this basic necessity, right. In, I mean, these times are some, you know, extraordinary, right, beyond what we could have imagined. But to be able to give them that safety net by building this network and working across. I mean, you can validate this, but having worked in the nonprofit sector for a while myself, you know, the compounding effects are astounding, right? And to have these numbers in the first year, that's that's really amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And then to your point, Nitin, it's it's about um, you know, the thing I'm really proud of is it's you know, it's us getting to these folks at this particular pivotal moment of need, yes. right? And that's where mm -hmm. where our model of having these frontline heroes is so important because you know, we're here to really, you know, work with our frontline heroes to identify the moments where, just think about it, right? It's, it was $400 or less. We know we're not talking, you know, the big astronomical medical bills, et cetera. It's those smaller moments where, you know, a relatively small amount of money can have really outsized impact, right? So those moments that if you get to it real time, it's when there's an emergency that can be prevented from spiraling into a crisis, mm -hmm. or it's the moments when you're removing that like last mile barrier. It's just like literally that last mile where that person, you know, in working with the great programs, you know, in their community with the nonprofits mm -hmm. or the government uh, programs or whatever it is, they literally just need a little bit of that last barrier removed to help them make a step change improvement in their lives, right? And so those are the types of moments we're touching, and those are the ones that, to your point, just the compounded impact of that. Right, sort of like get to that $300 car repair right now mm -hmm. so that you can avoid the spiral that can get yeah. you to like literally within three, four weeks into like literally risk of homelessness. Like imagine all the resources you actually prevent from needing to go into that case because you caught this pivot at the, at the exact right moment, right? So that's exactly what's about. I love that you brought up that point. Yeah, you know, unfortunately it's so easy to, if you don't have control in that moment for that to become a crisis. I mean, you mentioned, you know, a $300 car repair which if not prevented could lead to you not making it for your job, losing your job, losing your insurance and, you know, and so on and so forth. And before you know it, like you said, two, three weeks down the line, you're looking at bankruptcy, losing your home. That's right. And from a car repair that most of yeah. us would be like, Hey, that's an annoyance, but you know, not, not the thing that will devastate my life. And yet these are the moments that are, are, are very real for, for a lot of our neighbors. And so that's what we're here to do, right? We're here to create that safety net. Let's talk a little about, you know, as, as we are talking about these moments, what's the biggest challenge you face as an organization, as a team? Yeah. 
I mean, it's funny. I was reflecting on this question before before we got online, and it's um, it's almost hard to synthesize it into one, right? Because it's it's all the challenges of what it means to build a startup. And then I know that fellow entrepreneurs out there, there's there's many, right? I mean, there's everything from you know learning how to fundraise in the nonprofit space, yes. right? Like I can tell you, it is completely different from fundraising in the for profit space, right? Like we have this like stellar board who can raise all sorts of money for their startup ventures, et cetera, and have, and then you get into the nonprofit space and you just, you know, you like we've needed to learn and deeply understand just like mm -hmm. the the sort of like the psychology and logic that goes behind a donor making a nonprofit mm -hmm. contribution is just completely different from you talking to the same person and pitching them a for-profit idea, right? So that's like a like a challenge that you know we've embraced and we're we're you know like deep into it and whatever else. But geez, like it would be I would be amiss to not say, mm -hmm. hey, like that's like a real thing, especially for for nonprofits, right? And so for all the nonprofit entrepreneurs and executives and development executives out there, like wow, I feel your pain because like that's it's really hard to do, right? And it takes a lot of grit and determination mm -hmm. to keep on going. Um, you know, the another one that. Um, that you know, I continue to just evolve my my management approach on is just continuing to build and motivate that largely volunteer team, right? You know, it's sort of something that I'm really proud of, and it's something that's uh, enabled us to you know create beautiful product and create really great progress with very low overhead. But at the same time, you can imagine all the the trade offs and challenges of managing a volunteer team, right? How do you create sort of like a flexible and empathetic type of environment where um, you know that most of your staff aren't actually able to treat your organization as the number one priority. Like it's by default, it has to be the third and fourth or whatever because they have families and jobs and, 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 and you know, all that stuff. And so that's been an interesting challenge that I feel like has actually helped me evolve a ton as, as a leader and a leader of people because basically I've had to take all my management tricks from my for-profit days and now manage this new group but lose the biggest lever most managers have, right? Which is compensation, right? So mm -hmm. that's, been, that's been really interesting. And then, you know, last but not least, a really another really interesting thing is um, just sort of like what it's taken to really go in and um, and disrupt the industry, right? Because like I'm not gonna lie, like I went in kind of naively because we went in just with this notion of like wouldn't it be great mm -hmm. to just have this new resource, right, for our nonprofit staff to help to help somebody that they otherwise would have to say no to. Right. I, like we didn't go in with the intention of disrupting. We we're like, mm -hmm. let's just build a new resource, right? And then what we've learned is that the model we're proposing is actually very disruptive to the nonprofit industry, right? Where, where you know, the, the typical nonprofit structured such that you fundraise centrally and then you drive your programs and that's your scope mm -hmm. and that's what you do. And instead we're coming in and saying, hey, wouldn't it be great for you to continue doing the wonderful work you're doing, but in addition, act as this conduit be our source and our validators of these needs on the ground and act as a conduit to get direct resources back to the person, right? So do mm -hmm. the programs, but also help the person directly. And um, and that's been really interesting, right? Like there's definitely been moments earlier this year when I'm like ripping my hair out, being like, wait, we're not even trying to disrupt. Why are you reacting this way? But like learning some, you know, like our target audience, learning sort of how to sell through and, and learning how to deeply empathize mm -hmm. with how nonprofit executives think and make decisions, right? So that's also been a really interesting business challenge that I got to say, if you were talking to me, you know, week one or two of neighbor chat, I would have been like, that's the easiest part. Like, let's worry about the other pieces first, right? But no, of course, like that part turned out to be really interesting and challenging as well. So that's, you know, that's just off the top of my head in terms of some of the big challenges we face and continue to face, right? Uh, yeah, no, no mean, no small task. And <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at the flip side, right, and, and we briefly talked about this, but would love to hear a little more on this is, what is the biggest opportunity you're targeting? Yeah, I and I and I love this question. Um, it's so it's so great to complete the other side of the of the coin. Um, 
you know, like I think our vision for NeighborShare is to really ultimately build it so that it can become, um, you know, a true national movement that's that's literally touching every single corner of every single state, right? Because once again, like this notion, like 40% of Americans can't afford a $40 afford emergency, right? Yeah. I mean, like we know this type of need, that the type of need that's slipping through the cracks, it's literally touching so many folks in all walks of life. And, you know, and so in, in terms of like driving to a vision that's that big, you know, like the way we're thinking about it is, you know, while we're going to do what it takes to keep on building toward this mission brick by brick on the ground, right? Donor by donor, we're going to gain it. Like, you know, partner org by partner, we're going to go through it. We're also really looking at the opportunity to really figure out how to land almost like, think of it as like the right strategic partner or partners who can really help us sort of leapfrog the scale and impact of our current mm -hmm. model, which is still more like a, almost like a proof of concept stage to really get to that next level of impact, right? Because this model is really compelling, right? And it's of the times, right? It's like, it's super tangible impact. It's one-to-one -one connection with a person in need and it's hyper-local and hyper-targeted, right? You know exactly where your money is going. You know exactly the impact you're making. And so, you know, we're, you know, one of the, the big opportunities we're really driving and doing research and starting some conversations on is like, once again, figuring out the partners who can either bring, and just think of it, who can either bring like the funding, right, to go fill lots of needs at scale as we identified them, and or have the distribution networks, right, so that we can get these needs in front of lots of eyeballs and potential donors, right? And so sort of like, and you can imagine my, my prospects less a mile long in terms of all the different corporations, et cetera, that I think um, can have like a mutually beneficial partnership with NeighborShare, or even in certain ways, maybe they can even like take it on and white label it. Like, you know, there's like a little bit of no pride of ownership here. I mainly want to see this, this model come to life in a bigger way so that we can just continue helping more and more people, right? So then the next time you and I are talking, it's not 3,000 neighbors, right? It's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, because we certainly know that we as a country need that type of help, right? That's, that's one of the big, big sort of North Stars and opportunities that we're, we're pursuing these days. It sounds really exciting, right? And I, and I do see the, the path to it. I'm also curious about, you know, you mentioned the $400 number. Given the inflation where it's at been, right, and it's projected to continue to stay there for a bit, how does that impact that $400 number? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an excellent question, and you're actually the first one to ask me of it. I think that's like a really interesting point. You know, I think the way we'll probably want to evolve that loop on that is mainly to do what we we consistently do, right? Which is like staying in close touch with our frontline heroes on the ground, right? Because they'll let us know when like, hey, this feels a little bit too low, or this is not going to be enough, et cetera. Because like, they're the ones who see the first signals, right? Sort of like the implications coming through the whatever, and so. Um, I think as long as we're maintaining just our pulse on the ground with our with our frontline heroes and listening to their feedback and, and consistently just being willing to evolve our model, right? I think that's going to be the important thing for both the current period we're going through now and then who knows what other curveballs the world will, will throw at us later, right? <laughs> so true. Diana, as you look back in the rearview mirror, just even not with NeighborShare, but in your professional career, what are you know moments that stand out for you? One from a lessons learned perspective, things that didn't go as you had expected, but ended up being great teachers, right? A great teaching moment, a great learning moment. And on the other side, a success story that you're really proud to share. Would love yeah. to hear both of those. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think on the, um, on the lessons learned side, you know, I think one of the key things that I've been reflecting on a lot is the, um, it's like the theme of courage. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I feel like I'm someone who has, you know, worked through um, just like different sort of challenges with my own self-confidence. Right. Of believing in myself and like working myself up to make that ask to make that whatever. 
And one of the things I've loved about NeighborShare is that it's really sort of like unleashed me from that. Mm. Right. And I think part of that bravery came from the no, but now I'm advocating on behalf of others. But it's sort of like yeah. just learning to like, look, man, if you don't ask, the answer is automatically no. Yes. Right. So like just building this background, this courage, like, you know what, this this mission is worthy. It is mm -hmm. well thought through. It like needs to exist in the world and just going forth. And so like a huge personal lesson for me has been like, wow, like what's the like just how much more impact it could have made like i'm proud mm -hmm. of my career so far etc but like when i think back to you know professional world whatever all these things i just think about how much more impact i could have made if i were just that much braver right if that was just that much more confident and that much like just had courage right and so that's like a key thing that um that i continue to reflect on and stare at and continue to push myself and hold a high bar for right but also look in, in into the future right so that's I know it's not specifically the thing that failed or whatever, but I feel like it's like a meta theme for myself that I've been reflecting on a lot, um, you know, as we as we go into year end. Um, and then in terms of success story, you know, like I think um, I think this might sound cheesy, but like I really consider every single need that's been filled in our platform to be like a true standalone success story. Right. Because that's just think that's literally a life that was tangibly touched mm -hmm. and changed today. Right. And, you know, and all the needs flow through my inbox. Like I, I read through everything that comes through. Right. And so it's like I'm thinking about, you know, like this this um, this very compelling young woman who, who came to our platform. She, you know, is a refugee from Afghanistan, mm -hmm. the oldest of five daughters who is now in the States with her parents and her four younger sisters who has been saving for like two and a half years to start her college education. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it was literally a few months ago when she was just about ready to put in that first check to finally start her college education. Like a family emergency happened and she had to dip into that fund. And so she was literally at risk of not being able to make that first semester. Like it would be another year of waiting. Right. And it's like, boom, $400 from neighbor shared. It was like actually enough to get her to over the edge to get that first check in to start her college education. Like we were That's able to like awesome. make sure she stayed on track. Right. And it's like that like blew my mind. Right, because like to your point, Nathan, you're like, well, with inflation, 400, like how can, no, it can make that much of a difference, right? Um, or, you know, there's a, um, this one from like a few weeks ago as well, like, you know, this like 17-year-old teenage father, mm -hmm. right, who, um, you know, who is, you know, working with one of our local organizations to try to improve his life and to build sort of like a more of a living and a stable living for his new baby. And he got stuck because he literally couldn't afford the $150 he needed it's like $125 to get his training certification to be a security guard and $25 for the bus ticket back and forth to go to that training. When I was talking about that last mile blocker, like that was the last mile blocker. And then by the way, though, that partner organization who did a great job, got him connected, that they didn't have that money. It's not in their budget. Like nonprofits don't just have like miscellaneous budget to fill, you know, like bus tickets and whatever. Those are the types of moments we're talking about, right? And so that's why it's sort of like, you know, we actually have um, – weekly volunteer team meetings to come together so I can update folks on our progress, et cetera. And we kick off each meeting with like, here are five folks we helped with this week. Because every single one of those is a success story, right? And every single one of those desires like that moment of attention and reflection that like, hey, we touched someone's life today in Kentucky or Oklahoma or California, right? And so that's that's sort of, I don't know, I like that's sort of like how I think about it within our context. These are amazing, powerful stories and, you know, things, uh, of course, you know, on one end, as a leader, you need them to channel the, the volunteers and keep them engaged and inspired and motivated. But then, you know, the the impact you're able to make on those lives. I mean, I, I can't imagine if if this person was not able to go to college, who knows if she would have waited another year, right? We could have lost her to the system, to so, so many, many different other things. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's yeah. amazing. I mean, I, I love what you're doing. So kudos to Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
I really appreciate that. It's what keeps me going, I gotta say. <laughs> when the moments get yeah. tough, you just go back to the neighbors you're helping, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, let's talk about some of these moments that, you know, I would love for you to share with us as one-line life lessons, right? Things that you can share with other entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and people who, you know, are just looking for some inspirations. And the reason we do this as one-liners is because we are all, you know, lacking for time and attention. And if in a quick second or two, in one glance, if we can help change someone's life in the right direction, it's all worth it. Right? So with that, I would urge you to share some of your life lessons with us. I love it. I love it. So my first one is, um, this is one I made up myself, actually. Um, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's just a different shade of green. I love that. That is so cool. Yes. And I use that a lot because it just helps give you perspective, mm -hmm. right? Like when the going gets tough, just, you know, the other side of the fence, the going's just tough in a different way right now. It's okay, right? And then we all have our advantages and disadvantages and whatever. So that's a key one I remind myself of sometimes when I'm like, oh, woe is me, right? Like, no, like it's, it's sort of the same for all, right? Um, another one um, that I ascribe to a lot, and this comes from Ray Dalio, the founder of the mm -hmm. firm that, that I work for, yeah. um, is, you know, knowing how to deal with not knowing Mm -hmm. is more important than anything you actually know. Um, and and that's been incredibly important, especially me going to like, you know, first time CEO, first time founder, first mm -hmm. time running a nonprofit, like all these things, right? Like, geez, like what a, like a really, really imperative and important principle for me to keep in mind as I as I navigate these challenges. Um, you know, another one that that I also hold on to a lot is, you know, look, like sustaining your grit and determination is over half the battle. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's that's just like a key one. I just remind myself of that. And now I like I think I now truly more viscerally understand when, when folks used to say like entrepreneurs are all about grit and yeah. blood and all that. It's like, whoa, I get it. I get it. I'm all the ups and it. downs yeah. and the real time it takes. Right. Like mm -hmm. I feel like the overnight successes we like to point to. It's like, hey, it took 10 years for that overnight success. Right. And so then now you feel the what it means to like travel that 10 year journey. So that's an mm -hmm. important one for me. Um, another one is is the one I mentioned before, which is if you don't ask, the answer is automatically no, yeah. right? Um, the and then you know, last but not least, which is actually one that I found on your um, on your website, because and I really loved it when I was scrolling through it, and I was like, that's so right. Is ideas are a commodity, mm -hmm. execution of them is not. Yes. And I actually say that because I. Um, like I, I always used to almost like self critique myself as like, oh, but I'm not like the big ideas person, right? I'm never gonna be the Steve Jobs who thinks of the next iPhone, etc. And then now I've come to really appreciate the role I play in that though, right? Which is I can take a big idea and actually make it happen. And that's just as important, if not more important, right? And so that's like a key one that I also ascribe to as part of just also reminding myself of like just the value and work that I bring to the table in, in building toward big missions and ideas. You know, I especially those, those love that five. one. <laughs> Thanks for sharing those. And you know, the last one I think I can relate to a lot because at some point in life, I figured out that I'm not an innovator, right? I'm not the one to sit and think and get fixated with a problem. I'm more of the kind where I'll say, what's a workaround to this, right? Let's keep moving, which as good as it may be from an operational perspective, because you keep things moving in the right direction, it is also a hindrance when it comes to you know, there are people who get fixated and, and a new thing is born out of that. Right? And I always, just like you said, I always thought that's a negative because I can't come up with ideas. It took me a while to figure that out. It took me a few mentors, few guides to say, yeah. hey, you know, 
you both play a part in this. That's how the team comes together. So I'm glad you, you talked about it because there are a lot of people out there that tend to think that, you know, being the innovator is the sexy, cool, you know, the, the cool kid exactly. job, but exactly. that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> Diana, thank you so much for sharing your lessons and most importantly for doing what you do and you know helping this community come together and move us all in the right direction. Thank you for making the time and would love to have you back. And hopefully you've added a few more zeros to the neighbors we are helping. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Nitin. This was such a privilege and a pleasure and um, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much.